everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Straight Up Sabres, presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo, brought to you by Thin Man Brewery. As always, I'm Brendan, and Taylor is still planning his takeover of the UK. He's there now. It hasn't worked out so well. The Bills have lost, so uh, I'm going to ignore all of the beautiful, scenic photos and videos that he's been sharing to his Instagram and just assume that it's been a a big failure, considering he hasn't instituted himself as the the prime minister over there yet. But alas, while Taylor is, is attempting a coup, I am very happy to be joined by a friend of the pod. I believe this is his third or fourth appearance on Straight Up Sabres, but we are very excited to welcome one of Sabres Twitter most knowledgeable follows. That would be Kevin at NT Rider 825. Kevin, how are we doing today, man? I'm good. I'm I'm doing great. Thanks for uh for inviting me back on. Absolutely. You know, with Taylor being gone, I felt like there was a, a certain Simmons, Bill Simmons essence that was missing from the pod. And I That's know right. with you being the the president of the Northeast chapter of the fan club that it, it felt like it would be the perfect way to fill that void. I'm waiting for his hockey preview. I really honestly would pay for that. (laughs) Oh, my God. If only we could be so lucky. Well, let's get into the preview of our own here as this episode will be coming out. Folks will be getting ready for the Sabres season opener. That, of course, coming Thursday night against the New York Rangers. Kevin, this is pretty much as as highly anticipated of a season as we've had in quite some time. I think this is probably as confident going into a season as we felt in quite some time. Obviously, understanding still that there are plenty of holes on this roster. I shouldn't say plenty, but there are holes on this roster. There's definite questions on the roster. And so we're going to go through all of it here. And I think it would be appropriate for us for the sake of this conversation to start up at forward. A lot of questions here, so there's a lot that we're going to get to, but I would first like to start off with what has maybe been the news coming out of training camp in the preseason, and that, of course, is Zach Benson taking 13th overall in this past NHL draft, inexplicably being able to play his way into an opening night roster spot, something that I think pretty much nobody was really anticipating coming out of the draft, but we've been getting everything that we've been really sold on Benson. We've been seeing that in the game action when it comes to the the offensive side of his game, his skill, the creativity, how he's able to play up to the line mates that he's playing with. Of course, as he was getting a good amount of time starting off to the preseason with Tage and with Jeff Skinner and looking like he fit in there, then he gets moved throughout the lineup and he's seeming like he's going to settle in on this third line role to start off now with Middlestat and Greenway. And he still is looking good there. And on top of that, for being an undersized rookie, he also has a, a pretty nice defensive uh, side to his game as well. So, Kevin, let's talk a little bit about Benson. I mean, what do you think are, are realistic expectations for him this year? Are we just looking at a nine-game trial and then he's going to go back to Winnipeg? Or do you think that there's a shot that he can really stay up this entire season? Yeah, I think um, actually like one of the <clears throat> one of the things that, that I, I'm keeping in mind when setting expectations is, I did think there was a, a pretty good chance he was going to be to look really close to pro ready um, in this preseason and probably get chatter a little bit of chatter of like, hey, should this guy make the roster? But I honestly didn't think there was any way they were they would actually do it. And he they kind of kept giving him these different tests, right? Uh, and I think once he was passing all of them, eventually it just became unavoidable um particularly particularly with Quinn out um it just became really easy to slot him in so I would say you know I would lean towards that he's not going to spend the entire year in in Buffalo only because um it is so extremely rare I think I I recently looked and the only guys picked uh in the general vicinity of of him basically outside of the top few that have have stuck in the NHL right after their draft year actually one of them was Jeff Skinner um and then uh 
Cole Sillinger for uh, Columbus a few years mm-hmm. ago, which really he should never should have. That was Columbus being their usual, you know, short term selves. But yeah, but um, so I mean, you know, historically, I would bet against it. But I also, based on the fact that he's even on the roster, I think they're going to give it an honest look. They're going to give him a chance to, um, you know, power play two, third line. But I think that third line will probably get fairly, um, uh you know, fairly generous usage. So he's going to have a chance to contribute and score. Um, I would actually say I'm, I'm glad he's starting there because if you start him up on the first line, I'm not really sure you do get a great uh, evaluation of him because, and this obviously isn't taking anything against what, what he accomplished with that, with Paige and Skinner in the preseason, but it is, nor what Tuck accomplishes with them. But that is a pretty easy place to score a lot of points. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So you get a much better read on what, what he can bring now, where he is. And so I think the answer is going to be pretty clear what what fans and, and you know, smart fans or, or all fans want within a few games. Um, but expectations, I think, should just be that he's he's an NHL-quality player. And to be that at age 18, picked where he was, is, is a – it's the number one sign that uh, that a player has a, a, a star level future is to be uh, very good, very young. It sounds simple and obvious, but it's true. So I would say, uh, you know, hope and expect that he's an NHL quality contributor. And if he is, then that can help now or it can help for nine games. And it's a wonderful sign for the future. I, you know, I would note, I, as others have, that uh, the situation with his junior team is, is probably uh, – an, an added factor here. I don't think that he made the team because of that. Um, but it's got to be in their consideration. Uh, uh, the, Winnipeg was the franchise he was with. Actually, Winnipeg used to be uh, – they had moved to Winnipeg a few years ago. So he's he played actually for the same junior team Sam Reinhardt did, but not in Winnipeg. And now they've moved to Wenatchee, which is Washington and the United States. And so – you know, that alone is a little bit of uncertainty. They were a terrific team in the WHL the past two years and relocated. Their coach did not relocate with the team or he wasn't brought back. That's kind of unclear. Then they hire uh, Kevin Constantine, who is currently under, I, I guess, suspension for at least the near future while being investigated for what would be his at least second uh, example of player misconduct. And this allegation has to do with the use of uh, – racist language and uh, you just not it's not a situation you know Winnipeg was a wonderful developmental situation for he and Matt Savoy Savoy the past couple of years and it's almost the polar opposite now um, I don't think that's going to go unconsidered you know really how could it you don't want your player losing a year of uh, development because their team is a, a mess and you certainly I certainly would not want him playing for a coach who um, has the history that the that the coach does now my money would be on that coach being fired and replaced but that's not known yet right and is it going to be known in the next two weeks it's certainly another thing to consider for sure all important things for the the Sabres to keep in mind as they get a view of really how he's going to fit into the mix here and I think you brought up a great point there too that isn't really not that it's like deliberately not being discussed, but just the fact that like, yes, it was great that he looked so good in a top line role playing with Tage and Skinner, 
But I think for us to get a full view of how impactful he could be at the NHL level at this stage, it is playing down the lineup a little bit more and seeing how he is able to, you know, is he able to elevate the game of like Jordan Greenway, for example, or mm-hmm. like do him and Middlestat make each other better? Obviously, Middlestat had a great stretch run last year, ended up finishing with almost 60 points and really gave himself, I think, a, a real chance at potentially being a part of the long term here, whether I agree with that or not is a different story. But you know, is Benson going to be able to produce while not playing with two of our best forwards? You know, I think that'll be a great indicator, like you said, of his impact on the NHL now, but also in the long term as well. And you brought up his teammate there from juniors, Matt Savoy, who unfortunately was on the wrong end of the injury bug here early on, as he, of course, got hurt in prospect camp there. But it appears like the Sabres really had the plan all along of giving Savoy a chance to make this team out of the gate. Kulik and Rosean have already been sent back to Rochester. Savoy remains on the roster as he's still getting ramped back up here coming off of that injury. And they haven't sent him back down to juniors yet. And so I'm curious, Kevin, not so much what you think is going to happen there, but given what the situation is right now with Matt Savoy, how he looked in the second half of the playoff or in the, in the stretch run last year, and then as well as his performance in the playoffs and just the player that he is, how do you think that the Sabres should go about handling that situation? Yeah, I think he should play. Um, well, I, I would guess, and I personally would send him to the HL for a rehab stint. There's no real reason not to, um, right. you know, he can load up on minutes and, and top line use there. It also is just a good way to place to rehab your game. Um, you know, he, he played the two in the playoffs last year, so it's not going to be brand new to him. In fact, you know, in terms of like leverage to the Amherst season, you can kind of experiment around with him more. And assuming that that goes well, um, I do think he should play NHL games or um, at least a few, which he's got the nine they can work with uh, as well. Uh, whether that means he replaces Benson and they sort of use the two of them to stretch out the time before Quinn returns, that that is one option. I said all, all along, I said all summer, I would not do what Seattle did with Shane Wright with, with Matt because sure. I just am not a fan of prospects playing, being jerked around to different levels. And it's the number one thing you want your prospect doing is playing hockey. I mean, again, that sounds overly simplistic, but you just want your your player getting games. I think people sometimes focus too much on like, oh, are they too good for the level? Is there anything left to learn? I mean, you can learn and and develop your game at any level even against competition you might be too good for or might not be quite ready enough for now this team needs to be trying to win so if he's not ready in the nhl that's not where he should be trying to develop his game but a rehab stint that's what i would do give him some nhl games see what he looks like kind of reassess where quinn is reassess how close he is how Benson has played, has there been another injury, you know, all those factors. It's like, it's just another option. And it would be wonderful if the AHL eligibility thing worked out for them. I heard Adams on, um, in his interview yesterday, actually didn't just rule out that it was possible. I, I He didn't say that it was, they were expecting it. I, I still wouldn't expect it, but I thought it was interesting. He didn't just automatically say that it's not possible. So I would, sir, I would go that route, but I, I, he needs to see time in the NHL. Um, just to see what you have there. I think he's a, uh, he plays a very, uh, you know, he's a very fast paced player in terms of, he does everything at high speed. Um, he and Benson together, like 
I don't know if, if uh, I, I certainly don't expect people to be watching junior hockey all the time. And I don't, I don't get to see as much of it as I want to, but um, he and Vincent, when they play together, they're just, they're just horrible to play against. And like, there's they're two of the most annoying players for opponents and you can, there'll be shifts, especially on the penalty kill or, you know, if they're, they're chasing a game, like they, they just annoy and frustrate players so much. And uh, I think that, that that's an NHL trait. So uh, I don't know that he would, he needs to be polished in other areas. Uh, that kind of energy in your bottom six is, is really, really um, it's kind of like the way that the modern NHL is going with fourth lines and third lines. So, I, you know, as I said earlier, I'm someone who says, just, just get any, get time, get minutes um, and then worry about where that is and what the level is later. So if he needs to, if he's playing bottom six minutes, same with Benson in the NHL, I have no problem with that. I'm not someone that says, well, if you can't play in the top line, then why bother in the NHL? I mean, you can learn a lot playing in the bottom six and especially on this team that kind of has, um, you know, clear options for, for the top six. So uh, my, my move would be rehabbing the NHL and then, and then throw them in some NHL games and see you got lots on the table. Yeah. I love that. And I think that's a great point too, about the two of them playing together. I think it's interesting that, they both, while they complement each other well, they have some pretty different traits, I think. And I think what's interesting is that both of them, the calling cards of their game are the fact that they are very skilled players. Like you don't get taken in the top 15 if you know, you're know you you're going to project to be a, mm-hmm. a bottom six guy. Like These are both highly skilled players. But what's interesting, though, is, as I mentioned before, Benson obviously has a very well-rounded defensive game for somebody of his age. Mm-hmm. And man, oh man, Matt Savoy is going to be a just absolute bad on the four check it's it's going to be really exciting to watch and so the prospect of them potentially playing together at the nhl level you know maybe even as soon as next year i think is is very very exciting let's move on to the rest of the forwards here though kevin obviously among the forward group the the big unfortunate news is the fact that we're going to be without jack quinn until probably around the turn of the calendar once we get into january He, of course, getting injured earlier in the summer, working out. And the big question has been who is going to fill in on that second line role. It's seeming like the first crack is going to go to Victor Olofsson, which I don't really particularly love that. But then again, I don't really particularly love the fact that Olofsson's on the roster to begin with. So just wondering what your thoughts are on how that may end up shaking out and who will ultimately end up sticking potentially and filling that void while Quinn is on the shelf. Yeah, I think... um... I, you know, I don't, I have no time for Olsen on the second line, but I would also know this happened last year too. Like, if you look, I, I guarantee if, if he plays there for two or three games, if you look at the time on ice, he will be at the bottom at five on five. Granado finds like four or five shifts a game where someone else will fill in there, especially if they're protecting the lead. He does, you know, uh, he does not trust Olsen at all, and he doesn't use him like a coach who trusts him. I actually posted about this a few weeks ago, and Micah McCurdy uh, replied, noting that by his uh, leverage and coach metrics, so basically like measuring in what situations does a coach use a player, Olsen was by far the least trusted forward on the Sabres last year. So even if he's quote-unquote on the second line, he's not going to be really used like a second-line player. I think he'll be used like a specialist and, you know, he is not a bad player to have on the ice if you do need a goal. <laughs> it's hard to 
it's hard to fit him on lines though because he just he just does nothing to really help flip the ice. Um, but he was okay enough in preseason. I think in certain games you'll see him there. I think they'll work Tyson Jostin, um, which would probably kick someone like a Benson or or Krebs or even like Akposo or someone up or shuffle the lineup a little bit. So I honestly think like the answer to how they're gonna to what they're gonna do to replace Quinn is they're going to try a bunch of different stuff depending on either the matchup or who's playing or, again, like how does Benson look? Is he tired? You know, I'm looking at, like, the first few games of the season. It makes a lot of sense to me to sort of say, okay, we're opening up at home. Benson is playing. Game two, you're in Long Island. That's a team that they, they're they not going to play with the puck. They're just going to try to, you know, wear you down and win two to one. Is that maybe more of a game that Tyson Jost makes sense in? And how is Zach Benson doing? That's not an Olofsson game usually, right? Uh, you know, that type of game. So I just think – I think that's what they'll do, and I don't really mind it as a strategy. I've said before, too, I think NHL teams are going to really – should and, and, and will start to get more into player rotation. You know, we see in almost every other sport – one of the the main things that every sport is learning and and beginning to understand is that while your superstars and your star players need to play a lot and drive your team, uh, there's a lot of benefit in rotating players, rotating roles, kind of keeping players rested. And then, and for me, I don't see any reason why the last three or four spots on your roster shouldn't be in constant rotation. Um, the initial is tough because you don't have a lot of guys, extra guys, especially if you're keeping three goalies. Um, but I actually think in five years, you're going to see a lot of teams doing that with goalies too. So, you know, I think it's going to be a rotation. It's just going to be like, what's our matchup? Who's playing well? Who's looking, who's banged up, that sort of thing. Um, so I guess my answer is like a mix of everybody. (laughs) Um, and then in, and that could even mean like going 11, seven, some nights. I don't, I don't think that's out of the question. Interesting. That that does bring up a really interesting point for how that bottom six is going to shake out. And within that, I think one of the curious, how do I want to put this, deployment decisions that I'm looking at here and that I'm, I'm curious your thoughts on is with regard to Peyton Krebs. So last year, he ends up getting a ton of time with Opozo and Gergensons. And I think within that, just for one, benefiting from playing with two defensive players, but also we started to see his defensive side of his game round out a little bit. and you know, let's be real here. When we're talking about Krebs, like as great as Tuck has been, Krebs was maybe the key piece of the Eichel trade. He was a highly touted prospect. He has a ton of skill. He's a, he's a great skater, you know, both in terms of his like straight line ability, along with his edge work, he hasn't really been able to connect with the offensive side of his game though, for as talented or as skilled as he is, I should say. And so I'm curious, Kevin, I mean, do you feel as though the best way to use Krebs right now is to keep him on that fourth line? Or do you think it would be worthwhile for the Sabres to explore maybe playing him up the lineup with more skilled players? I think I think that at some point this year, he needs to move up the lineup to see if that defensive impact will translate. For sure. Um, because he was he was undeniably very, very good defensively last year. His prospect, his um, reputation as a prospect was that he is someone who was responsible, uh, trustworthy. Coaches, like every coach loves him. 
Mm-hmm. And every coach will love him. He's he's the kind of guy that coaches love. And what that sometimes means is that when a coach loves a player and trusts a player, they're going to use him defensively <laughs> because a lot of coaches are going to be, you know, that's that's a big concern, obviously. Now, you know, specifically playing for Granado, that's not something he's prioritized. But I think what he sees in that line is like, this is a line I can I can go to um, in the event that that the game is is needs to be kind of shut down. Now, that's great and it's effective and it helps, but long term or in the in the immediate short term, um, it is important to find out what is the defensive piece in the top six going to be. It might be Zach Benson, who does. I think he has a, you know, long term he will be a good two way winger, but. It's got to be some one of one or two of the following has to happen. Either Thompson has to improve a lot defensively. You know, I don't see that being even really the best for him. <laughs> He's we don't need to mess with that too much. Um, Cousins needs to improve defensively. You know, but again, that's a great offensive player. I never thought Cousins was had this huge defensive upside that a lot of people saw. Mm-hmm. He was always kind of a, you know, he's a, he's a transition player. He wants to get the puck and he wants to go. So that can lead to some of the same defensive issues that, you know, the team in general has. So what's the other piece going to be? You, you got to get that or you need someone from the bottom six who is a long-term piece on the team, be it Middlestad or Krebs or, um, you know, or one of the guys who hasn't debuted yet. You need someone to be able to play up in that top six and get the kind of like defensive smoothing that 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 top six still needs. It might not be Krebs, but I think at some point in the year, through circumstance or whatever, they got to see if it'll translate. Right. It's like sooner or later you have to see if, like you said, the defensive stuff will translate, but also if mm-hmm. there is this untapped offensive pop that just hasn't kind of shined through yet yeah, because I, of the opportunity or what have you. Yeah, but and I don't even think you need – like all you need is for him to not be a negative on the right. on, on offense because the the top six has plenty of offense. Um, yeah, yeah. So like, can Peyton Krebs play next to Cousins and Paterka, and that line's offense doesn't drop, but they get, I mean, seriously, they get ten percent better defensively. That's that's what you have to see. And you know, I mean, as far as being part of the Eichel trade, yeah, I I think it would be wonderful if every piece of that trade hit. <laughs> but mm-hmm. you know, talk. I think that yeah, the the tuck piece obviously is is the prime piece in that trade right now, um, and and the other stuff was like I mean that that trade I didn't mean, get rehashed the Eichel trade, but for me that Eichel trade was always about like the the acceptance of moving on to a new way of building your team or a new core. Or totally. Whatever. So you know, and and I don't I actually don't think that Adams or anyone with the team is is making decisions based on him being a piece in that trade. If if they were, he wouldn't be playing with Gergensen's and Akposa. <laughs> no, that's that's definitely very fair. So I want to actually switch it up now to a couple of guys who we had mentioned there previously that I think there's maybe just about as many question marks for these two guys as there is for anybody else when it comes to the long-term future of this team. And that is Zach Benson's opening night line mates and Casey Middlestat and Jordan Greenway. So they're both in pretty different positions right now. Greenway obviously coming via trade last year with Minnesota, not going for any, uh, any slouch of return. I mean, a second round pick for a guy is 
ultimately that's like a, a pretty nice piece to go back and return, especially when you consider like Ross Colton, for example, getting traded for a second in the off season here. So it seems as though the Sabres really believe in Greenway and they want to see if they're able to make this work. It didn't, I, I don't think he was really able to put it together consistently last year. I don't think anybody would say like, Oh wow, what a steal this trade was after he was acquired, but there's a familiarity there with Granado and they obviously want to try and, and make this work in some facet. Middlestat, I think going into last year, everybody was very fairly questioning really not only what is this guy, but what do we even have here? Like, is this even a piece? And I think that with him, it really just came down to the fact that he had stretches where he had looked good or specific games even, or even if you want to take it down a step further, shifts where it was like, wow, okay, this is a guy that, this seems like maybe, you know, not like a primetime first round pick or anything like that, but like, this is a quality player here. I think a lot of it was maybe, you know, you can look at like conditioning, for example, and him being able mm -hmm. to keep up with the pace of play because a lot of like the raw skills are there, like the passing ability, the the stick handling, his, his sneaky shot. You know, there's a lot of good pieces there, but it just felt like the man was like dogging it by like the second period in every game for a lot of stretches. Last year comes around, he ends up putting it together, had a really impressive year and ended up being, I think, a, a pretty important piece for them down the stretch here. Now, the, I guess, caveat to all of this is the fact that both of which, I think middle, or, uh, Greenway, I believe, has two more years and Middlestad is up after this year. And there's a lot of guys that are knocking on the door, Kevin. We talked about Benson. We talked about Savoy. There's also Kulik. There is Rosean. I mean, Noah Ostland is a couple years off, but he's going to probably be coming over to North America soon, assuming that he's not traded, which we can get to that in a little bit. Um, there's, there's a lot of guys there that are vying for these third-line spots, when in reality it kind of feels like your top six, at least for the, the time being, is pretty locked in. So I guess my question to you is, what do you need to see – if anything at all, actually, from Middlestat and Greenway that would cement them as long-term fixtures a part of the, the organization. Yeah, Middlestat just just keep you know keep it up, really. Um, and I think I think I've been a long time Casey Middlestat believer. Yeah. <laughs> no, not at all. So I, <laughs> I was gonna say, I know, think we can go back to Twitter and find <laughs> yeah. those tweets. You definitely were banging the drum. Yeah, of course. No, I, I honestly think in and this isn't again, this isn't a criticism. Like he just needed to grow up. And and you know, there have been jokes about that, but it's not even just it's not like grow up in, in a maturity sense, but like just learn how to, you know, yeah, like be a, a professional who has something on the line and, and understand that like his, uh, his conditioning level needed to be even better. The joke about him with doing pull-ups is a, it's obviously a joke. You could be a great player without that, but it does, it does speak to the fact that like this guy is not a high, high end athlete. He never was. He is a skilled player and uses his brain and, and size. And Casey has a pretty good size, a tall player, decent reach. And so, he, I think he just needed to kind of learn what that was about. And he's another one in retrospect. And you say, well, your formative years of, of learning how to be a, a, a hockey player and sort of what the stakes are as an NHLer were under Ralph Kruger. Why, why should we now assume that he was getting any kind of guidance in that? And I think he probably saw his career future a little bit. I, 
I'm probably doing like pop psychology here, but I always thought it was really notable that he took off after Tyson Jones got claimed. That's a guy from his same draft. Um, I believe his same draft might be a year prior, but drafted around the same time as him, sort of a similar uh, pedigree as a player and was on his second team and got waived. He was that close to being in the AHL, right? And I think Middlestat is just someone who it clicked for him and that's to his credit. And he's um, he kind of started to play a game that is more focused around winning pucks on the wall, working them to the center of the ice. Don't worry about being like the primary puck carrier and playmaker on your line. Just do what you're good at. And I think he learned some, he, he learned and developed how to use his, his frame, how to use his body and use his skill to win pucks. And so for me, I don't need him to be the guy he was exactly through the second half of last year. He's like top five in the league and five on five assists since like from Christmas on last year. It's crazy. Um, seriously, I, if not top five, it's like top 10, but absurd. I don't need him. <laughs> yeah. I don't need him to be that, but just keep, keep it up, you know, be closer to that player that you were last year. Um, and he can be a, a, a piece. I'm not sure I would make a, a hefty long-term commitment to him. I don't think you're going to see him get the eight year deal. Uh, just given the fact that he's closer to free agency already, a little bit older, but you know, he can certainly be an intermediate piece for me um, if he keeps that up. So let you me know, ask you this. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. No, I was, you know, go ahead. I was going to move to Greenway. So, you know, I, well, I don't know. Stat, I, let me put it this way. If he does have at least like some semblance of a year of what he had last year, where, you know, mm-hmm. say his defensive game is like around average, maybe a little below average, but he's not getting torpedoed every time he's out there and the offensive production is there. I don't know. For me, I, I'm just wondering, again, with the amount of young talent that you have mixed with the fact that we just have the Darlene extension announced, the power mm-hmm. extension is going to be coming. You still have are going to have plenty of cap room, but there's other like shorter term deals that are uh, deals that are going to be happening in the short term. Like I think we're like two years away from having all of like Quinn Paterka and Levi up, which again, like we don't know what necessarily any of those guys are going to command, but I'm just wondering, you know, I, or I shouldn't say this. I guess my thought process with middle stat is if he does end up having another good year and it helps lead them into the playoffs, that's great. Great story. Great that he's able to turn it around. Does it make sense though, to try and leverage that value that he may have get out of it now before you have to give him a big payday. And then that way you're able to maybe like maximize some ELCs in that, you know, middle in those middle six spots when you have all of these first rounders that are going to be coming up. And then that way you trade middle stat and maybe one of the prospects and you're able to look to get somebody that you're making an upgrade onto the roster. Well, I, I don't know, maybe, but see the way I look at it is like, what is, what is big commitment mean? You know, like, am I going five years? Because I don't think if you sign him to a five-year deal at whatever that would be, I don't, he, he's probably touching six at this point, right? Five and a half, six million. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know that that has to be a hard contract to trade if he's producing. You know, if I can trade him for value before he gets that contract, then I presumably, if I believe in him enough, can trade him in a year or in two years. So it, I don't think that would be an untradeable deal. I don't, now, you got to be careful on, like, no trade clauses in that. I wouldn't go handing those out. But – um on a player like that. But I also do wonder, like a lot of it depends. Like if this is a playoff team or looks like a legitimate real contender, it's, there is probably an argument that says, look, we need to, we need to just accept the fact um, 
we need to accept a little bit of contract inefficiency on middle stat for the certainty, right? Because none of those guys might be as good. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think Zach Benson, I mean, you, you can almost put that in pen. I like most, if not all the other guys, I like most of the other guys mentioned, but there's certainly outcomes that they do not provide the same amount of value over the same term. Sure. And once you become a competitive team, it's, it's not, they don't give, you know, I joke a lot, like they don't give you the Stanley Cup for having the most efficient cap sheet. <laughs> they give right. it to you for having, you know, the most wins at it. So um, that said, I, you know, it's, it's, he's certainly a guy who can be used in a, in a trade to address an area of need. The, the other thing I would note is if you're doing that, the player you're getting back in that trade is probably going to have to be paid a lot too. Yeah. Um, so it's just a question of like, like how do you how do you want to leverage the fact that you have a lot of ELCs? Do you want to bundle them and trade them, or do you want to keep them all, or do you want to do a mix? Like New Jersey kind of doing is kind of done a mix of both. You know, they make the Timo Meyer trade, they make the Tyler Toffoli trade, but they they don't touch their top two or three guys. Yeah, um, that's the ben- by the way. That's why you want to have prospect depth. <laughs> that's why you want. For sure. Yeah. So um, I I would just. Like my opinion on middle set is mostly just like, let me just talk to me in six months, you know? Yeah. And I, I'm not afraid of an extension on him. If he plays well again, he's going to have trade value immediately if, if you need to pivot. So, no, that's a great um, point. All right. Well, let's move on to Greenway yeah. then. What are your thoughts there? I mean, is there any, any way that this guy has a future on this team? And, and I guess taking it a step further, do you think that? Granado has it in him to accept that maybe he's not like a middle six guy and maybe he is just like a fourth line guy that maybe can fill the void mm. when Opozo and Gergensen's move on. I, I'm mildly encouraged by the fact that, that that's where he's starting now. He's the third best player on, on a third line. Um, I think, I mean, assuming Benson is anything close to what we think he is. So, I like that because I I think if that if he's going to be successful he's got to be the third best player on your line and he's got to be down the lineup. Um, I didn't I I don't didn't love the trade. I don't really care about the fact that it's a second. Like this team has plenty of assets. Mm-hmm. Um, he's just like, and I I know there are people who vouch for him. I know he had the one big year in Minnesota, but it just seems to me like it's this. It's sort of like the the outer limit of. Uh, you know, Granado's coaching ability, which in his developmental ability, which is real, and we've seen the results of it, but it's sort of for me like the outer limit of like, okay, that's probably a, that's probably too much, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but he'd be an effective player, I guess. I, I don't know. I, I'm not betting on him being a, a long term piece. I but I do think um I do think Granado is like already showing signs that maybe he has a little bit of a a more cautious approach and understanding of what he is. I think it's concerning that he keeps leading them in penalty killing time. Um, mm-hmm. He was not a good penalty killer in Minnesota. This The Sabres don't have a good penalty kill anyway. So he's got to get off of that. But hopefully that, I don't know, hope, the penalty kill is like a whole different. Uh, that's like the one unequivocal bit of pessimism I ever have about them. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. And we'll, we'll get to that shortly before we wrap up the forwards. I do just want to ask, we had career seasons last year from Tage, Tuck, Skinner and cousins for each of those four guys. Do you think that they are maxed out at 
the production that they put up last year? Or do you think that there could be more there? I know in the case of Tage Skinner and Tuck, they're a bit more intertwined with each other from them playing with one another. Mm -hmm. But do you think last year was the were career seasons from each of those guys? Or do you think that there's maybe another level that they can get to? I think it's hard to ask for more um, offensively from Tate Skinner and talk. That was the highest scoring top line in the league by um, per 60. So um, I'm, you know, that I'm not going to be stupid enough to say that Tate doesn't have some other element to his offensive game. He can add because he like, he just defies everything all the time. Um, But yeah, I mean, I, I certainly, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't expect more, um, maybe like improving the two-way play a little bit or, you know, diversifying their game a bit. I, I think Cousins has some room to grow um, a bit as a playmaker. He's never going to be like a top, top end playmaker. He's kind of like a, uh, I said, I don't say this in a, as a criticism, but Cousins has always played like a simple game, which I like that about him. It's why I always preferred him to some of the other flashier guys in his draft. Like, you know, Trevor Zegers has been in the news, like good player, definitely better than his stats have been in, in, uh, in Anaheim. But like, I just always am going to prefer the player that I know every night he's going to just do like the, the straight ahead, simple stuff. Um, I don't have to worry about that with him, but he could add, I think a little bit of playmaking and definitely has room to grow defensively given his age and, um in his experience level so yeah I, I could see a little more from him very interesting no I think that's a good point on all of them and I, again just with how good they were them kind of like staying the course and being as good at or just around the area of as good as they yeah. were last year will be plenty for them to be able to make a playoff push their line just puts so much stress on teams it's, it really does it's like even if they're not scoring it's you have to throw your best defensive group out against it or yeah, they're just a nightmare. <laughs> For sure. Absolutely, yeah. So let's move on to the defense here, Kevin. And I guess before we get into some of the specifics, I have more of a broader question for you. So as we know, this past offseason, the only moves, external moves, I should say, that the Sabres made were bringing in Eric Johnson and Connor Clifton. Johnson, you're bringing in a guy that, again, former first overall pick, has had a really solid career, not necessarily to like the superstar level that you would want out of a first overall pick, but either way, a rock solid career and has been a consistent guy. He is uh, a season removed from having like a really solid year last year, of course, had a bit of a dip in terms of his play and his impact on ice, but the Sabres are hoping that he will be able to bolster the blue line a bit and be an upgrade over the likes of guys like on a nightly basis, I should say over the likes of uh, Labushkin or Bryson, what have you Clifton, I think is maybe more, a bit more of a hoping for upside kind of move there. I mean, we've known that he looked good for uh, that early stretch with Hampus Lindholm and that he was uh, a fixture, a, a consistent fixture on the Boston blue line. And obviously they were great last year. And we know there are some deficiencies to his game as well. Um, both of which I think undeniably should make the blue line at least incrementally better. My broad question for you, though, is to what degree did this front office leave something to be desired this offseason? Did they like how bad is it that like they didn't take a big swing? Do you think that it was imperative that they they took a big swing or do you think that? their approach of uh, a couple of more minor moves and staying the course is the right course of action. Yeah. I don't think um, 
it's hard for me to really like point to a, a move or a couple moves that that jump out as obvious that that act, that happened that other teams made. Um, sorry about that. Um, you know, like realistically, I don't know that there were any great options that were available, or and maybe there were, and they and they weren't willing to pay the price. I I think it's probably. I mean, it's certainly I would have I would have added someone. Um, with a little more of a top four pedigree, assuming that that was realistic or reasonably possible. Um, but I, you know, they have a, they have an opinion that, that look, we have developed as a team due to internal improvement and focusing on there being an expectation and understanding from our young players that we trust them and we trust them to fill into bigger roles and that we want those roles to be available for them to grow into. So they've been right about that for two years. Um, I do think at a certain point that that development has to stop or slow down and it's up to them to determine when that's going to be. So there's not a whole lot coming on the blue, on the blue line immediately. Um, but I like Ryan Johnson a lot. I thought he flashed at times. I also thought he, he, he struggled a bit. Um, he struggles defending the rush quite a bit and in the, he'll get fine with that. His feet are good. He's got to learn the pro game. He'll get there. Definitely. But um, yeah, but so I probably would have addressed someone who was a little bit more seasoned to play in the top four. Eric Johnson's fine. I mean, I have no problem with Eric Johnson, but people, I think people kind of worry overreact a little bit to like the, year last year he he's almost certainly going to be a more reliable player than Labushkin, who um it the underlines the value states it was ugly <laughs> it was ugly last year so you know he's kind of like an, another assistant coach out there i guess so the main reason the blue line will or won't be better is if you know owen power develops if matthias samuelson develops if rasmus dalin stays healthy but that's somewhere that, yeah they could I, I would have liked to see a little bit more, um, not to the degree, you know, if we, and we want to talk about goaltending, I think that's where they, they mm-hmm. did not handle it correctly for me, but. Um, oh, we're going to yeah. get there, Kev. Don't you worry. We will get <laughs> yeah. there. Do we have to? <laughs> I know. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. Well, let's, so let's like, I don't know. The moves, I think the moves on D are fine, but it's not anything that's going to move the needle much to me. No, I, I agree. I I liked both of the moves. I, I'm with mm. you in the fact that I thought that a bigger swing would have been nice, but I still that didn't take away from the fact that I still thought that the Johnson and Clifton moves at least were still like a couple of nice pieces of business. Mm-hmm. But I do want to talk about Owen Power here because I think it's it's really interesting when you look at how he played last year and you know, the, th- the way that we talk about his game that everybody talks about his game is that it's like, he plays beyond his, his years, you know, coming into the league and looking as, as smooth and as confident with the puck on a stick and as just being able to just like read plays and make reads to get the puck out of the defensive zone and knowing just again, like making like really solid breakout passes and whatnot. I mean, there's just, there's so much of his game that it's like, my God, I cannot believe that this is like a 19 year old kid that we're watching play. Mm -hmm. A lot of the questions with him, I I shouldn't even say questions, but a lot of things that people wonder is like, well, okay, how much more of an offensive pop is there to his game? And I think that that's something that you have to wonder about, especially considering he's not going to be getting power play one time with Darlene having that obviously locked down here. But there are areas, other areas of his game, too, where I think that we should hopefully see some improvement this year. So looking at a guy like Power Kev going into his, his second full season here with the Sabres, 
where do you think that he really needs to improve his game to take himself to the next level? Yeah, just uh, just defending uh, off the rush a little better. Um, he played kind of passively there. The whole team sort of does. But you could definitely tell, um, you know, he didn't want to he's, – he's trying not to get beat directly off the rush, and that means, you know, you're susceptible to sort of giving up some chances and plays um, off the off of possession. Um, but he's, he's good at getting the puck back, getting it out. I would argue, honestly, I, I think from like an impact perspective, like how that how the player impacts um, territorially, he and Darlene are almost equals offensively. Now, Darlene is a uh, has developed a lot of elements of his game that power has flashed, but not quite developed the same yet. So I'm not saying he's the same level of Darlene offensively, but um, in terms of like impact on the game. An impact on they are like the engine of this rush system, right? Because the puck either gets off their stick quick, both of them, or they're the ones transporting it. So he just needs to learn how to like how do I blend a little bit of Im- improvement defensively without taking too much away from you know what I'm most gifted at, which is what you saw, what you see on the offensive side. Um, this was the development that you that you wanted year two Darlene to make. And unfortunately Kruger was took over as a coach that year and decided to just make him only focus on that. So it's not easy to do to say you need to inject a little bit of like, you know, focus on breaking up rushes, breaking up plays earlier instead of getting your, getting the, you know, letting the bucket deep in the zone and then having to fight for it back. But Hey, by the way, don't give up what makes you great. So it's on him and Granado and like, Owen Power has been one of these guys who he adjusts and adapts to his level within a year or two, every single, every, every age when he was in USHL college and, you know, throughout his NHL career by the end of last year compared to where he was at the beginning of the year, et cetera. So I, I have no doubt at all that he is capable of doing that and he just needs to be guided the right way. Absolutely. No, I, I completely agree there. And I think that we could really start to see some some even new sides of his game really start to break out. I mean, there's so much that you just see on the surface with him that's so impressive. And I'm yeah. just really looking forward to seeing how that's going to continue to round itself out this year. So let's let's talk a little bit about Matias Samuelson. We had mentioned him there as well. Uh, Samuelson, I think, is a really interesting piece to this Sabres blue line. I think he's probably, it's fair to say, like the unquestioned number three and just in terms of like the hierarchy and the importance to the blue line here. And it's seeming like the Sabres are going to, at least at some points throughout the season, are going to be willing to experiment with him a little bit, whether it's giving him time on the third pair potentially with a guy like Eric Johnson if they want to try and have Connor Clifton play with Darlene. Maybe there's the opportunity there because he's played a little bit on his offhand. I know Darlene was playing a lot on the right side last year, but Samuelson got some time there too. And I thought he at least held his own to a degree. So maybe there's the opportunity for him to play with Owen Power. Where do you think a guy like Matias Samuelson and the skill set that he brings to the Sabres best fits within the Sabres blue line? It's a, it's tough to say right now um, because I know everybody loves him. Uh, the Granado and everybody seems to, Love him with Darlene, and he has this reputation as like this is the, you know, the piece, the Jenga piece of the puzzle, and whatever the record was without him. And I, I don't, <laughs> I've gone on about this so many times. Like the reasons for the win loss record without Samuelson 
if you look into it, it doesn't have a whole lot to do with Samuelson. It has to do with with like shooting and goaltending and so, sort of stuff like that. So that said, I think he was injured most of the year. I do think that affected his game. Mm-hmm. He did not. He and Darlene really, I mean, he was, Darlene played a lot better with a couple other partners in smaller samples. The logic of Darlene and Samuelson working together, I understand. I can buy that it allows Darlene to sort of feel this freedom in his game and be a creator and be a shooter and all that. So um, it, it's I have no objection to, to seeing how that looks, particularly if you feel like he's healthy. I do think that long-term, he is a better fit next to power or as a third pair sort of, um, I, I would like a chess piece, right? Like, look, you're going to play on the third pair. And if we're protecting a lead late or it's a tight game or we're playing against a particularly physical team or a team that cycles the puck well, and we need your element more than you are going to move up the lineup in that game um, and kind of deploy him like that. But, and then, and obviously like a guy like Clifton or, you know, Ryan Johnson or something like that might make more sense in a more offensive setting. So I guess it sort of depends. Like, where some of the struggles in his play, which are reflected in the numbers last year, was that a, was that because of injury, or was that because he is he was not ready or is not capable of playing, you know, up on the that top pair? A lot of people look at it and say, "Well, you're playing with Darlene, and quality of teammate matters more." And it's like it does, except like that's a big load of minutes. They're high leverage minutes. You are playing against you know very skilled, very difficult players. So we got to find out like, are, is he up for that? Can he be someone who stabilizes things? Or if not, like just he's fine being a guy that plays on the nominal third pair, but is used in tight games. You know, he, he's under this contract where like he doesn't need to be much more than he is to be, mm-hmm. you know, in the ballpark of worth it. So I don't know. Um, I think if it was me, I would probably I understand why they're starting like they are, because it's the beginning of the year, go with familiarity you know, ease people into the season. I would like to see some looks where he plays with power. I don't, I don't know if we'll ever get that. They really like, they crushed teams last year and in a couple hundred minutes, Yoki, how are you and Darlene together crushed teams as well? I know people don't buy that one quite as much, but um, yeah, I I would like to see at least, at least some, like give me a couple weeks of that, you know? Yeah, I think that makes the most sense, too. I, I feel like I've been kind of at that point now for a while where Darlene just mm. took such a big step last year that we are at the point that you can pretty conceivably play him with anybody and it's going to be OK. Yeah. I mean, I, well, I think like I think people attributed some of that step to Samuelson and it might be true, but it's like the context in history suggests the number one reason for that was the guy picked first as a like once in a 10 year prospect for know? sure. No, absolutely. Yeah. And I think, again, you know, with what you had said about how people have the mindset of Samuelson being this kind of consistent piece and then that thereby like unlocking parts of Darlene's game or letting Darlene do his thing, what have you. I think in a way, even though Power and Darlene have different skill sets, I think that that logic can still kind of be applied where you just have that steady presence there oh, yeah. that allows yeah. Power to grow and make some mistakes at points and everything. And I'll also say, too, aside from, you know, having <laughs> that absolute clown Ralph Kruger as a coach, I think one of the huge issues that I had with how they handled Darlene's development was that they really never gave him somebody who was a good partner to play with. 
and somebody that was just like a steady presence to be alongside of him. At least thinking back to a lot of his early partners throughout the first two years of his career, he really did not have that at all. Mm -hmm. And they didn't even make it a priority to go and do so. And so I think that having a guy like Samuelson there who has the flexibility to play on the right side, who has the skill set that he has, Mm-hmm. It does kind of feel like it makes a lot of sense to give him and power like an extended look. And if it if it sticks, then just like keep it there and don't mess with it. Um, and I also almost wonder, too, thinking more long term, say they do go and make a bigger swing in this upcoming offseason and get somebody to play like, let's say, next to power, for example. I almost wonder what a pairing of next year what like a Ryan Johnson, Matias Samuelson third pair could look like, because that feels like that could be very, very effective and give you a lot of those benefits too. Right. Yeah. And I think you, you kind of run in, you sort of had the same idea with Johnson of like that guy, they like, you know, he played in college for 15 years. So we have a lot to go off of. Like <laughs> he played that role in college. So there were a couple of guys there in Minnesota who, defensive men who were given more of like the offensive creativity offensive uh you know deployment and use and he sort he sort of played it like that and i think that's to his credit as a first round pick to be willing and to like stay for four years and, and be okay with that so yeah i think he's totally he's totally suited for that role and you know ironically the the best part the best num- results that darlene got when he was uh, a young player, this would be like the first year under Housley, even a little bit with Kruger, was when he played with Zach Bogosian, which, uh, you know, of course, is like the punchline of a joke, right? But when you think about it, like, it makes a lot of sense. What is What was Bogosian by that point in his career? And, mm-hmm. and I think this is why he stuck with Tampa. Is like, he's just a guy who, like, he's super like – he's he was an athletic player who could still move the puck and, like, skate the puck out of trouble, even with the injuries – but like he was at a point in his career where he knew where he what he was, right? And that was like not someone that needed the offensive line light, not someone that needed to be the, the main creator with the puck. And Samuelson's a guy who has always been that. So um I want the puck on Owen Power's stick as much as possible. I want the puck on Rasmus Dalin's stick as much as possible. And I want him playing with partners who are gonna be okay with that, <laughs> you know. Totally. All right. Well, Kev, before we get into the unfortunate topic of goaltending, well, maybe I shouldn't say unfortunate topic, but you will all get the gist. But before we get to that, folks, let's hear a quick word from our sponsors, DraftKings Sportsbook and Thin Man Brewery. The NFL season is going strong. Well, maybe not for the Bills so much after Sunday, but DraftKings Sportsbook is hooking new customers up with an offer that's even stronger. Bet five bucks on any game this week to score $200 instantly in bonus bets. And DraftKings isn't stopping there. All customers can take advantage of a sweetener offer every game day this October. So... A lot of exciting games that had happened today, this past Sunday, obviously in upsetting loss for the Bills in London there, but have to think that they're going to be bouncing back here, even though there's just been the worst injury luck these past couple of weeks, but we'll see what happens. But a lot of good games coming up. A lot of these playoff races are going to really start to come into view a little bit more and start shaping up. So going to be very exciting to get to follow along with those and placing all of those bets. So what are you going to do? You're going to get in on the game day greatness. 
Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code THPN. New customers can score $200 instantly in bonus bets when you bet five on the NFL. That's code THPN only on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resorts, licensed partner Golden Nugget Lake Charles, 21 plus, age varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See sportsbook.draftkings.com slash football terms for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and and responsible gambling resources. And this podcast is also brought to you by Thin Man Brewery. And folks, we've been talking to you about Minky Day for a few weeks now and still excited Minky Boodle who doesn't love it but there is one change to announce the, the date and time are the same it's Saturday October 14th from noon to 4 p.m. Uh, but it's no longer at the Thin Man Brewery it is at Coles on Elmwood and the Coles patio which we're hearing a lot of good things about folks you're hearing more and more about Coles great spot one of the classic bars and in a, a nice little location so, hey, Thin Man and Elmwood, that, you know, nice to have that back, even for just a few hours. Uh, and if you're interested in Minky Day, i tell you up front, you can get your tickets at thinmanbrewery.com, Eventbrite, or Thin Man's Linktree on Instagram. So wherever you're most comfortable with, tickets are $45, and that includes a built-in $5 donation to the Men Wear Pink campaign that raises money for the American Cancer Society's fight against breast cancer. Ticket includes what do you get with it you get with your ticket is access to the event exclusive access no one can go without a ticket you get a thin man glass you get one seven ounce pour of each minky boodle variant there's four variants this year there's also live music from obstab dub system and spooky steven and minky boodle mimosa bar from noon to 1 p.m and more you're gonna have to show up to find out what the end more is so the participating breweries that each have one variant of minky boodle that you only be able to try at this event Tripping Animals from Miami, Grim from Brooklyn, RIR from Cambridge, Maryland, and Atrium from Louisville, Kentucky. So probably breweries that you're not going to be able to, to get beer from a lot, and they're each brewing their own take on Minky Boodle. So if you're a fan of Sours, a fan of Thin Man, a fan of beer, and a fan of Good Times, get your tickets to Minky Day right now. All right, everybody, we are back. But before we jump back into that Sabres talk, one quick thing just to give a little shameless self-promotion here. My band, Canadus, we have a brand new EP coming out this Friday, Friday, October 13th, and we're celebrating with a release show at 500 Pearl. Within 500 Pearl, if you've ever been there, obviously you know the bar, XYZ. There's also the incredible rooftop bar there, but you may not know that there's also an incredible theater in there that features a balcony, and it's this beautiful, gorgeous open space with chandeliers it's it's unbelievable we're going to be having our release show there doors open at six o'clock and we're going to be joined by a few very very well-known very very talented local artists in the form of humble braggers 
great screening and Tuesday night. You do not want to miss it. It's going to be a great time. In addition to that, we wanted to make this more than just a concert. We wanted to make it a celebration of the local arts. So we invited some of our favorite artists and vendors to come sell some of their pieces and their apparel. So in addition to seeing the great music, you can also pick up pieces from local artists, Acacia Crozier, Jacob Carroll, Jake Bauer. We also are going to be selling apparel there. I shouldn't say we, but Hey Moody, which is a brand new brand that had just launched from our friend Pete Kallstadt, who designed the can for American Lemieux. He is a part of Thin Man, but he has his own new clothing brand out now, which is really cool. And then we also are going to be welcoming Queen City Vintage. If you're looking to get some new Sabres gear ahead of the season starting, some classic Sabres gear, obviously Queen City Vintage is the place to go. So we're very excited to have them a part of the event. They'll also have some Bills gear, some of their other throwback gear there. So it's going to be really, really great. If you're interested in going, you can go and find all the information on buying tickets by going to linktree.com slash canatis, that's C-A-N-E-T-I-S, or you could just find my profile on either Twitter or Instagram. Either way, I've been posting about it a bunch there, or you can just go to the 500 Pearl website. But again, concert, 500 Pearl, Friday night, October 13th. And in addition to that too, we would very much appreciate it if you checked out our new EP. If you may have noticed, we have a new intro song that would be All At Once, which is actually going to be on the upcoming EP, which is called On All That's Real. But All At Once, along with three other songs, are gonna be dropping on Friday. It's gonna be really great. I'm really excited about it. I'd love for you all to give it a listen. I'd love to hear your feedback on it. So again, come and check out my band, Canadis, Friday, October 13th. Forbes Theater at 500 Pro. Get your tickets now and listen to our new EP on All That's Real, streaming everywhere, same day, Friday, October 13th. All right, everybody. We are back with Kevin at NT Rider 825. I don't think we ever determined, Kev. Is it Night Rider, NT Rider? I, I don't even remember, I right. honestly. <laughs> when I joined Twitter, I was like, oh, I'm just going to use this to follow, you know, uh, like the bands I like or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. understood we all are, right we'll leave it up later. to mystery then <laughs> yeah it's a, well it's up to whatever you want it to be it's like that Love yeah that. like uh um it's one of those paintings that you can see whatever what are those called the rorschach tests you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah leave it up so. to the interpretation of the viewer yeah. we love that all right exactly. well let's talk about some goaltending here kev as we had mentioned before when we were talking about the defense I think really what the the biggest mistake that this front office made this past offseason was not getting somebody that will be able to either properly support Devin Levi or to be the 1A to Levi's 1B. There's obviously so much very warranted excitement and hype surrounding Levi, but the fact of the matter is, is that regardless of how good he looked in that stretch last year and regardless of the physical traits and everything, it's undeniable that he's being asked to do something that is historically speaking unprecedented. Is he going to be able to do it? Will he not? Will he, will he, won't he, whatever, like all fair to wonder. And, you know, I guess we're going to have to see how this ends up playing out, but to what degree are you like feeling confident about Levi being the one a, or I shouldn't even say one a, like the unquestioned starter of this team going into a year where mm-hmm. play, making the playoffs is like the baseline. Yeah, I don't want to bet. I I don't want to bet against him. <laughs> He's never been anything short of like the best or one of the best goalies at his level. Yep. So, um, since he was you know before he was drafted, so I don't want to bet against him. I actually have quite a bit of confidence in him overall. There, w- I do think there'll be ups and downs. I think we've already seen that in the preseason. Uh, he was terrific for uh, his first game 
he was like a little rocky to start the second start, and then he was awesome, and then he really struggled in the third start. So, you know, like you look at the big picture, and you can do that all through the year, and that's perfectly fine, you know, for your numbers. But I think there's going to be some they'll, – they'll be tough games. Um, teams will figure out a little bit on him because he does have to really aggressively pursue. But he's just so athletic, so smart, and like – by all accounts, one of these hockey, you know, savants and all he does is study the game where I think anytime, you know, anytime teams or players are starting to find holes in his game, he's going to adapt. So I'm actually quite confident in him. I think the thing that people are sort of missing is like even a confident good outcome from him requires finding like 35 to 40 other games. <laughs> yeah, Maybe may, even if it's only 35, that's a lot of games. If you, you know, if you have a team that, that is, uh, that was like a true talent team that is expected to win 60% of their games and you get bad goaltending in 35 games, that's, that's going to really hurt your playoff chances. So, um, I, you know, my answer is like, it's both. I'm confident in Levi, but I'm not confident in the goaltending, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it, it totally does. So on that, let me ask you this. How many games should Levi be expected to start this year? Or should the Sabres try and start Levi? And all 82 is not an acceptable answer. Yeah, well, yeah, right. They, they That might yield a better Sabres. I, <laughs> I would target like, you know, half the games, 40 games, right? Like, can I get, can I do that? Can I get him to, to, to 40, to 40 games? And if he earns the 50 games, then wonderful. I mean, when you look around the league, like I, I don't have it in front of me, but 50 games is, is a lot for a starter now, mm-hmm. you know? So that's, I think people hear that and be like, Oh, only 40 games or whatever. Like if he plays 50, that's, that's bringing him up towards some of the, the more used starters in the league. So I'm targeting half. I mean, get, and then how do I, but that, but that, that's that's sort of this the whole point right like like how am i getting to 40 other starts and it, i sure. don't think an answer is give two guys 20 um, well i think that also begs the question too kev i mean we saw last year this team carry three goalies and it's just not something that's sustainable it's not the best way of utilizing the roster spots that you have at your disposal there and again the re like you have two backup goalies, you have no backup goalies. Like they didn't go out and get somebody that they can roll out and have confidence in. Should Levi get in a slump or Levi need a day off? It's going to be this toss up now. So, I mean, how do you think this ends up shaking out? Like uh, two episodes ago, we did our Taylor and I each did our five Sabres predictions for the season. Mm -hmm. And one of mine was that I don't think that UPL is going to be on this roster by the end of the season. How do you think that the backup goalie situation will end up playing out? And and quite frankly, how do you think it should play out for that matter with the question marks facing UPL and Eric Comrie? Yeah, I think they're that what they'll do is to start the year, they'll, they'll play Levi half the time or more and they will hope that one of those two makes their decision easy. Um, but I just think that's a game of always chasing the answer because they're going to be playing infrequently. I, I said earlier, I think three goalie rotations will be used more in the future, but the caveat with that is like, I think it's good. I, my guess is it would be part of like a broader rule change in the NHL where you're allowed to carry an extra goalie. I, I have heard and I know there's an article on the athletic about this. I think the athletic a couple of years ago or last year that teams really liked having the taxi goalie during the COVID years. That was like the one thing they liked was being able to carry a third goalie um, agents and the PA don't mind it because it's another guy getting in and then he sells salary. So 
if that's your structure and you can do that, you can get a practice time and you can um, platoon two of them, you know, great. But right now it's not the reality. So I just think they're going to be trying to figure it out and they're going to be making these assumptions on small samples. Like if I say, well, who's going to play better? That's who's going to win the job. What does that mean? That's going to be two games over the course of three weeks for each. So am I judging mm-hmm. that? I'm going to, I'm going to judge who my backup goalie is based on two games, you know, f- three games in three weeks. It's ironically what they need is they need the, the 2023, I got 2022, 23 version of Craig Anderson, who is 12 years younger and can play, ha- you know, 30 games. That's what they need, yeah. <laughs> you know, and like get, get a time machine. That's what, that's my answer. But Right. I don't know. I would probably just like, I guess if you forced me to have these as my options, ugh, I would, uh, I would pick one of the goalies and start them as the primary one B uh, and evaluate them on more than just a couple games. And, and then you got to sell it to the other guy, which I guess, you know, what they probably prefer that than playing in Rochester. So, and then I don't know, just try to like be in on the first decent goalie that might shake loose. <laughs> yeah, no, that's I, I think that's a great point. And there very well may be, you know, one or two of them that end up popping up as the season goes along. But yeah. I think an important part of this conversation, too, is the fact that as we're talking about Levi and how incredible he's been at every level that he's played at and and living up to the hype and the expectations and everything. We had Brian Duff on for our season premiere episode, and this has kind of been my thought throughout the offseason. I think it's been brought up by, you know, a handful of folks, but like we don't need Devin Levi to be setting the world on fire here. We need him to be like average. Like I feel like if Devin Levi walks out of this season with like, a 908 to like 910 save percentage, you that's probably going to be good enough to get you over the finish line, right? Well, I mean, if if the if the league wide shooting percentage is what it is last year, then then they will walk into the playoffs at 908 or 910, right? You know, because I think league average last year was like 902 or something, so or 903. So yeah, I I think they need, I think they need. Well, here's the trick. I think that that you need like average overall goaltending. So. I don't disagree that like they don't need the world from Levi, but they have set themselves up to where like they kind of need Levi to carry mo- to be uh, above average, assuming mm-hmm. they're going to get below average um, secondary goaltending. Um, you know, I don't know unless they fix. Did they fix penalty kill? Can they sustain the shooting? There's so much upside in like unanswered questions in this team. Like they have lots of ways to get to the playoffs with average or below average goaltending, but. The safest way to do it, if you're going to say, well, we need average goaltending, is like you got to get a little extra out of Levi. For um, sure. Like like long-term, yeah, if he's an average NHL goalie this year at his age and experience level, again, like the thing with Benson, that is like basically the best possible sign that he's going to be a great goalie. So well if said. he is average, be happy. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we get into a couple of questions that we got from Twitter, I did want to just ask one more thing. We talked a lot about – and it was really a talking point throughout last season. It was a big point throughout this offseason that the penalty kill was atrocious last year. And granted, while the power play definitely was not nearly as much of a problem and had like a lot of really good stretches, there was also some stretches there where it just felt like the lights weren't on there. So when looking at the penalty kill for the, the Sabres specifically, when looking at the penalty kill and the power play, and there may be different answers for each of those, do you think that the issues comes down to personnel the strategy that's being used or maybe a mix of both um i think the the issue with the power play 
is, and I did a long thread on this one day, the issue of the power play is almost exclusively the second unit, which yep. was horrible. Um, the first unit, like, you know, they, their shooting tailed off a bit. That also coincided with, like, Tuck's injury, Darlene's injury, Tage's injury at the end of the year. Like, when those guys are healthy, they're going to move the puck fine. Um, anytime you're focusing around, like, a one-timer power play, you know, it, it's going to go, it's going to run hot and cold. That That's fine. I can live with that because overall it gets there. And I think like, you know, that is another area I didn't talk about at the time. Like Benson can really help that second power play. I think, um, you know, they're set up right now to like have one of Benson or, or cousins on that power play Owen power. That was one of the areas like he took a huge leap in his sec first or second year in Michigan. Like he, that guy, his second year in Michigan, like he ran that power play ran through him with Matty Beneers and uh, Kent Johnson and like some really good NHL players. It was an Owen Power power play. So I think uh, that's that's a big place where he could step up. And then when Quinn comes back, if you're healthy, you know you, you can add some talent that way. So power play, it's a power play two issue. The nature of their system is going to be a little bit up and down. One of the issues I think I do have with Olsen is like. You know, great shooter, but he does sort of like tempt their worst impulses <laughs> in terms mm-hmm. of like, like by him being out there, they want to feed him pucks. And he probably at this point in his career just needs to be another of multiple options on a power play. Um, the penalty kill, I just like there have been so many players that have come through this team and the penalty kill is never good. So I don't think it has anything to do with personnel. Yep. I think that it's just, and I don't know, they, they haven't or they won't or whatever. They have not made a personnel change there in terms of coaching, I don't think. I don't really know for sure. Um, I kind of heard that they might be employing a different system. I talked a little bit to Chad from um, Expected Buffalo about this the other day. He said he was picking up on some differences. It looks like they're not having like a single forward up high chasing the puck. But um, I have always thought that that's a systemic problem. Yeah, definitely agree when it comes to to the penalty kill. And I think going back to the point about the power play, the second unit, there, there's going to be some really interesting looks that you're going to have this year. Of course, you'll have power quarterbacking it. I mean, they gave a lot of ten, like opportunities to Middlestead on the first unit last year. Maybe he starts there. And if that is the case, then, yeah, you're looking at a, a choice for the second unit of the four forwards there from Cousins, Benson, Paterka, maybe Krebs potentially as an option there. Obviously, when mm-hmm. Quinn gets back, there's an opportunity for either of the power play units for him. So th- there's not going to be a shortage of talent there, but I, I mm-hmm. hopefully we'll be able to see them put it together. But yeah, I mean, the penalty kill flat out, it needs to get better. And and again, you yeah. did see them inject different players in there and they found some success too. I think when they at certain points would use like some guys that were maybe a little bit more top of the lineup guys that ended up giving them a little bit of an extra boost just because they had to yeah. look more. I don't think they're going to do this this year because and i wouldn't i probably wouldn't just because there's enough on his plate i I have mentioned elsewhere zach benson's the best junior penalty killer i've ever seen um i've you know in all the junior hockey i've watched it's him or anthony sorelli he's the best penalty killing forward i've ever seen the most dangerous counter-attacking his matt savoy is close but long term that that's a that's a big piece that's going to be a big part of his value in my opinion i again i would not put too much on his plate right now but i love that though i think that's that's definitely something nice to look forward to i think he was i i'm i'm going to get the stat wrong but it's something like this at one point he was um at a certain point last year he had more individual points on the power play than he had been on for goals against so yeah 
not too shabby. All right. Mm-hmm. Let's move on to some questions from Twitter here. Um, I, I've got some news for you. Uh, we have like one of them is like kind of serious. Everything else is not so much. <laughs> Tim Drake asked, what player leads the Burrs in Vibe 60 this year? Um, I it, I think it's going to be like another Alex Tuck or Jeff Skinner uh, because they seem to be the most like self-aware of their – of their role in that, you know, mm-hmm. and Skinner, like, especially if this team makes a playoff run, like it's going to become a thing about getting him into the playoffs, you know, um, he's like the longest active. Uh, yeah. The most yep. is like the, he played the most games in the NHL without making the playoffs. We know that that's like not due to him <laughs> in a lot of cases. So yeah, I'll go Skinner. I'll go Skinner. Love that. Love that. I feel like Devin Levi might even be a sneaky candidate for that because he's just going to yeah. say some like mildly psychopathic shit, like in post-game interviews and stuff. Yeah, he's going to have he's have like a guru type of, uh, (laughs) you know, personality. We love that. All right. Anthony asked two questions. First one, serious. Second one, not serious. What are the chances of us actually running three goalies the whole season? And second question, what is your favorite kind of French fries? I'm going to go low on the uh, low on the, the chances of all season, but high on the chances that it's long enough that it annoys people. I agree wholeheartedly with that answer. Yeah. How about the French fries? I, I, it's the shoestring fries. You got to, you know, you get them with the chicken wings. They, they're like the counterpoint. I'm not a, I'm not a ranch or a blue cheese guy. Mm. Uh, so for me, you know, the starchy, the starchy French fry is my palate cleanser. So give me that. Okay, I like that. I can always get down with some shoestring. Also, got to give a shout out to the waffle fries, though. We, we truly love Ooh. them. All right, we got uh, Boomer Tang asked. <laughs> He just put your handle, but without the at symbol. And then he put the Michael Scott gif of why are you the way that you are? <laughs> uh, yeah, because of this. Yeah, because of the sabers. Like, you know, it's it's cooked everyone's brain. And, you know, it's just like it's it's what's left over. It's we love fault. that. Well said. And then our final one, I wanted to save this one for last because it, it we can get into maybe some juicy drama here and I don't want to air any dirty laundry, but Zach Perini asked why you blocked him. Ooh. <laughs> um, I don't know, but uh, <laughs> there was a period of time when like I would tweet about the bills and I was in a bad mood and would just block like, at, you know, a bunch of people who replied. So I, I will, I will review that, that, I also, um, I have accidentally blocked people from time to time, so it could be that. Okay, wow. Well, that's a lot less juicy of an answer than we were hoping for, but (laughs) nonetheless, maybe there'll be a nice resolution coming out of that. Yeah, also, I do, um, I'm really bad about checking, like, follow request stuff, so um, if I haven't, if you've done a follow request thing and I haven't accepted it, it's because I have to use Twitter on my browser or desktop now because you uh, you know you can't like use a twitter app anymore so Mm -hmm. um i'm just bad about seeing that notification well said well uh, thank you for the clarification anybody who's anxiously awaiting a follow request hold on a little bit longer folks it's not personal (laughs) it's not personal exactly kev i'm I'm gonna i'm gonna leave us with the the main question on everybody's mind here are they gonna break the nhl's longest playoff drought I picked them to make the playoffs. I think it's going to be tight. I think it's going to be a, kind of a battle between them and Ottawa, and maybe Pittsburgh. Um, uh, yeah, I'm I'm going to say it's close enough that they will get there. And I think that, uh, yeah, I mean, I think 
as you mentioned at the beginning of the show, like definitely the most um, optimistic I've been on their team in the short and intermediate and long term in a long time, probably since uh, the since 2015 when I shouldn't have been. But uh, I am. Uh, yeah, I'm going to say yes. I do think it'll be tight, maybe tighter than it needed to be, but uh, they'll do it. All right. We love that. Well, we'll hopefully get to have you on again a couple times throughout the season here. And of course, we'll be keeping in touch with the just high stakes fantasy football league that we're in here. Yeah. I mean, really big stuff when uh, like a year and a half into the league, we're getting texts from Yvonne asking what a taxi squad is. So, yeah, he's like, yeah. or like uh, anybody dropping Mark Brunel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but I'm not going to get into a big. Nobody wants to hear about a fantasy football team. But I, you know, for those uninitiated, I had an undefeated regular season last year, and I told my wife multiple times. I said, "I'm every week I'm rooting to lose because if if this team goes undefeated, I'm not winning the title." And <laughs> lo and behold, I Taylor, I think, destroyed me. So big upset. Taylor was, I think, like the the sixth seed too. Yeah, this yeah. is our. our I, I, I knew it was going to happen. I knew so we're gonna, getting we're getting full yeah. GM mode here with it being the yeah. dynasty league. Yeah, yeah, I knew it. It's the second I went undefeated, I said, "That's it. I have no chance to win this now." Hey, you already got the one loss out of the way this year, but you. I know. I was happy. <laughs> I was oh, happy. <laughs> Exciting stuff. Well, Kev, yeah, we'll have to have you back on a few times throughout the season. We'd very much appreciate uh, having you on as we always love your insight and love getting to chat with you. So thank you very much for joining this episode, my friend. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Folks, you can find him on Twitter at NTRider825. Make sure you're giving him a follow as this Sabre season is just kicking off. And as I mentioned at the top of the episode, Kev is one of the best follows on Sabre's Twitter for just getting a really informed analysis, also with some really nice shit posting mixed in there. So high quality stuff. But <laughs> Thank you so much, everybody, for listening to this episode of Straight Up Sabres, presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo. Make sure you're checking out both presenters of this podcast on their respective websites. Whatever streaming platform you're currently using to listen to this episode, make sure you're checking out all of our fellow shows. And you're following both the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also find us, Straight Up Sabres. And before you close out of this app, whatever you're using to listen to this episode, make sure you leave us a nice little rating or review, as we would very, very much appreciate it. Last but not least, folks, we have our wonderful sponsors. Oh, don't we love them so so much we we do folks we love our sponsors and that would be of course DraftKings Sportsbook use that promo code THPN at checkout to take advantage of great deals and Thin Man Brewery make sure you're heading to thinmanbrewery.com to keep up with all the latest and greatest news coming from Thin Man and wherever you like to buy your beverages make sure you're walking out of the store with a nice little four pack of Thin Man beer or even more potentially it doesn't have to just limit yourself to four shoot for the stars we'll be back with a brand new episode on Monday when Taylor returns from the UK so make sure you're tuning in then but in the meantime everybody have a great weekend this has been Straight Up Sabres. Sitting on the bedroom floor.